When my daughter rang this morning and I said, oh, I'm preaching today, she said, you have to work and it's Mother's Day. (laughs) It's a privilege to bring the word of God to God's family. Let's pray. Father, please take this message. Open our hearts that we can hear what you want us to hear. And may my words bring Jesus into our lives. Amen. Why Esther? Esther is a fascinating book of the Bible. It reads more like the storyline for a blockbuster movie and, in fact, has been made into a number of films. You could check them out on International Movie Database and use the keywords, The Book of Esther, if you want. It's a story of drunken orgies and feasts, beauty pageants, Despotic kings, jealous wannabes, gruesome deaths, and great courage and heroism. But why is Esther in the Bible? It is one of only two books that are named after women. Ruth is the other. And there is not one, not a single mention of God within the book. It mentions King Xerxes over 150 times, but no mention of God. What can we learn from this book? And where is God in Esther? Let's recap on the story of Esther. Does it sound familiar to you? Or was it new? So, the events took place in Susa in about 470 BCE, a long way from the Jewish homeland of Israel. Scholars believe that the book of Esther has been intentionally structured in a classical format, that the first half of the book mirrors the second separated by a significant turning point. We see this in the two banquets given by Xerxes and Vashti in the beginning and then the two banquets given by Esther later in the book. And those sets of banquets were separated by Esther's approach to the king. There are lots of pairs in this text too. There were two lots of banquets. There were two guards plotting treason at the king's gate, and more importantly, of the four major characters, there are two who are the bad guys and two who are good guys. It is through these characters that we can learn a lot about what it means to be of godly character. We see in the characters of the king and of Haman what it is to be ungodly. They are self-centred. But these men are full of pride and boastful. The story opens with King Xerxes hosting, visiting dignitaries and nobles for a period of 180 days, displaying the wealth and power of his reign. In Esther 1.4 it says... 
For a full 180 days he displayed the wealth of his kingdom and the splendour and glory of his majesty. To further boast of his wealth, he hosted the great banquet for the least to the greatest in the city of Susa in order that he should be seen as a liberal host. Now I'm a bit sus about that. I can't imagine that that feast was for the women or the children. It was for the men. I can't imagine that he invited the lame, the poor, the beggars, the lepers and the other social outcasts. It was for his least and greatest idea. Haman is also full of pride and boastful. We read that when he was promoted to second in the command in the kingdom, he expected everyone to bow down before him. And the fact that Mordecai would not really got up his nose. He also boasted about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honoured him and how he had been elevated above all the other nobles and officials, as well as boasting how only he was to accompany the king to Esther's banquet. In King Jesus, we see the opposite. He does not boast of his riches. He lived as an itinerant preacher, owning nothing. We see him welcoming the outcasts of society. We see him sharing two, lo- two fish and five loaves. Or was it the other way round? Whatever. That he scavenged for thousands to feast on. We see him speaking of his father's house, where those who repent and believe all are welcome. A godly character shows humility and concern for the well-being of others. Another ungodly character trait of both Xerxes and Haman showed that was that of anger, which led them to take revenge when their will was thwarted. During the seven-day feast, Xerxes sent for his queen, Vashti, so he could show her beauty to his guests. It was just another way of showing his wealth and possessions. Vashti refused. And who wouldn't when their husband had been drinking for seven days straight? She was not an object to be displayed to drunken fools. Xerxes became so enraged that he took his revenge and banished Vashti. Why was he so peeved? Firstly, because he had been humiliated. He was king. His word was law. She had publicly disobeyed him. But also because he and his counsellors believed that if the queen could defy the master, then all their wives would defy them. And in that society, that just wasn't on. So on the advice of his counsellors, he set up a beauty pageant to select his new queen. Esther was one of the chosen ones. Whether she was willing to become a member of the king's harem, we don't know. They just gathered together all the most beautiful women in the realm. 
The king's act of revenge was mild when compared with that of Haman. Haman so hated Mordecai's defiance in not bowing to him, he set out to kill him. And not just him, but all the Jews throughout the king's 127 provinces. That's some revenge. Over time, we've seen others try to eradicate the Jews, but they are God's people, God's treasure, and his protective hand has been upon them throughout history. When we compare King Jesus to Xerxes and Haman, we see he had opportunity and certainly the power to take revenge on those who oppressed him. He could have, oh my goodness, what he could not have done. He could have zapped those Pharisees. He could have crushed them under a mountain or flooded them or hit them with lightning bolts. Instead, he corrected them, showing them their false beliefs and actions, allowing them an opportunity to repent. He could have called down legions of angels protect him and save him from his trial and crucifixion. But Jesus was obedient to his father's will and, like a lamb to the slaughter, he lay down his life for the forgiveness of sins. Godly behaviour doesn't seek revenge. It seeks to correct and reclaim character. A godly character shows grace and mercy. If through Xerxes and Haman we see what it means to be ungodly, it is through Mordecai and Esther that we see what it is to live a godly life. In Mordecai, we see a man of responsibility. He accepted the role of raising his orphan cousin, raising her as if she was his own, bringing her up to honour her heritage. We see him as a man of integrity. When he heard the guards at the king's gate plotting the assassination of the king, a king who was not his king because he was in exile from the land of his fathers, Mordecai took steps to prevent it. He didn't do it for the honours it might bring him because it was some years later before Xerxes read the chronicle of the event and decided to reward him. He was a man who honoured his God as he was able. How can I say that? Remember, the Israelites had been in captivity for over 100 years. Their temple worship and teachers and sacred books were most likely destroyed and lost to them. And yet Mordecai, like his predecessor Daniel, knew something of the sovereign God and refused to bow down to a man. When a great threat came to his people, Mordecai was proactive. He did what he could to prevent such a devastating injustice. When Esther asked Mordecai to fast as she prepared for her unauthorised meeting with the king, 
We don't know if that involved prayer. It often did. The book of Esther has no mention of God or any sacred language. But we see Mordecai fasted as he was asked. And finally, we come to Esther. We don't know a lot about Esther. We don't know if she wanted to be part of the beauty pageant and become a member of the king's household or queen. We don't know how old she was or whether she had a child to the king. We don't know if she knew terribly much about the God of the Israelites. What we do know is she is a woman of great beauty, a woman who was obedient, following Mordecai's directions, for example, in not telling the palace that she was a Jew. A woman who won respect from those around her because we see the eunuchs and servants in the harem serving her loyally. We see a woman who was humble, not just in her approach to the king, but in her willingness to serve Mordecai and her people. We we see someone who was brave and courageous and compassionate. Esther is painted as a Christ-like figure. She determined to save her people from death and she was willing to die for her people. She said, When this fasting is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I must die, I must die. She was aware of the price. She was to be their redeemer. So where is God in this text? How do we see God's activity in the lives of his people when there is no mention of him at all? One commentator puts it like this. The secularity of the book of Esther has produced many detractors who have judged the book to be of little religious value. However, it appears that the author has deliberately refrained from mentioning God or any religious activity as a literary device to heighten the fact that it is God who controls and directs all the seemingly insignificant coincidence that make up the plot and the issue of deliverance for the Jews. God's sovereign rule is assumed at every point, an assumption made all the more effective by its total absence of reference to him. It becomes clear to the careful reader that Israel's great king exercises his providential and sovereign control over all the vicissitudes, that means the changes of circumstances, of his beleaguered covenant people. What does all that mean? It means that God was in control of the salvation of his people. It was God who allowed Mordecai to be at the king's gate 
at exactly the time when the guards were plotting the king's assassination. It was through God's will that Esther became queen. Mordecai said, Who knows but that you have come to the royal position for such a time as this. It was God who allowed King Xerxes to respect and honour and maybe even love Esther sufficiently to raise his staff and invite her into his presence. God is always in control of the salvation of his people. He loves his people so much, he gave his son so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Esther was not, in the end, called to give her life as a sacrifice for her people, but Jesus was. And who are God's people? All those who come in faith, repent of their sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are God's people. His spirit lives in us, transforming us to become his godly people.